Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. One of the things that I've been fascinated with over a number of years is that strategies rarely work as planned. So I know that, you know, people spend a lot of energy and we think leaders' job is to make sure that the strategy is identified and then executable. But I find way too often it's a big promise and not a lot really happens out of that strategy for a host of reasons. Well, as it turns out, if the strategy is really thought through, it's constantly evolving to accommodate the changes that are happening around you, and that is intricately tied to the culture and the expected behaviors you're looking for as an organization, then that strategy can and will get executed. Sound impossible? Well, I don't think so. So there's a system that's going to let you accomplish exactly that, and it's called the blendification system. And it requires a leader who has intelligent systems in systems and in emotions. And more importantly, from my point of view, it's not all about the leader having all the ideas or the vision or the roadmap. So my guest today is Dan Bruder. He's CEO of Fusion Dynamics Group, which is an international strategy and leadership consulting firm based in Colorado. He has an accomplished background in a whole host of areas from executive leadership, strategic planning, entrepreneurship, sales, and marketing operations, brand development, customer service, and corporate finance. I think that means he encompasses, encompasses the entire spectrum of business. Drawing on his 30 years of experience in personal leadership, he created this blendification system as a series of workshops and keynotes blending culture, strategy, and execution to help companies, individuals, and communities really realize their potential. He's a faculty at Colorado State in the Executive MBA program and at University of Colorado Boulder's Graduate School. And his new book is called The Blendification System. Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Wanda. Very excited to be here today. I'm excited about it. I have to give you, I am kind of was kind of skeptical when I first saw this book. And I think I said that to you at one point along the way. Because I have seen every strategy system you can imagine, and none of them seem to work. But I'm intrigued by yours because of the complexity. But before we go there, I want to ask why. You know, what question were you trying to answer to come up with this system? Well, I think the question that kept coming up with me is, why, why doesn't business and leadership embrace its role in positively impacting its employees, customers, and community. So, you know, we, we've heard this forever. And, and I was just intrigued by the fact that businesses have this incredible platform. You know, we, we spend so much time at work. In fact, we spend um, over 50% of our waking hours in work or work-related activities. And roughly, what, 90% of the U.S. workforce works in a for-profit or nonprofit business. So if we look at this, business's platform is probably bigger than any other platform out there because, one, we're spending most of our time there, and two, most of us are doing it. So if we look at the power or the potential of a leader of an organization, it's much more than generating a profit. So I was intrigued by the fact that 
so many businesses weren't really embracing their role as a leader for their communities, for their people, how they impact not only their business, but um, everyone around them. So that was what intrigued me. The, the question, the real question is, is, well, how do we do this? You know, and, um, and, and a very philosophical person. <laughs> so philosophy has to lead to action. So, um, so that's, that's kind of where I was. It's like, we've got to fix this because this is the greatest platform. This is greater than government. This is greater than um, church. This is greater than anything because this is where we're spending our time. So let's embrace this opportunity. And that was really the question I set out to solve. So about how, so I agree with you that businesses have a huge impact on our lives and on our communities and our world. And it is a platform we should, I agree with you completely. So your work is really about helping businesses do the best they can do for their employees, for their customers, and for their communities. Did I get that straight? Yeah, exactly. That is, that is the complete okay. motivation. Okay. All right. Funny you say that word motivation. So people are saying to me all the time that they um, want to know how to motivate. All right. And everybody I talk to seems to believe that the way that you motivate is ultimately by giving more money or by giving promotion. Even though when I talk to those individual leaders and ask them about their own motivation, it's not about more money and promotion. It's about impact, doing something, building something, creating the team, something else. So what are you seeing that um, keeps people motivated? Um, well, I believe it's, uh, it's about fulfilling something special within our lives. So um, first of all, money happens to be the most expensive way to motivate somebody. So there's plenty of other ways to do it. Um, so if, if I look at this, uh, you know, managers and leaders, uh, the, the easy tool because it's quantifiable is money. But the truth is inside all of us is something that I call is a spark of greatness. So inside every human being, they were born with something special, something that they can excel at, something they can be potentially the best in the world at. But then over time, either our parents, our coaches, our teachers, our friends start kind of knocking that down over and over like a wave hitting a rock. And it starts kind of grinding us down and we forget that we all have something great to offer. So now when it comes time to go to work, people have been kind of worn down. Um, whether it be by professors or teachers or whatever. And then now we have these leaders who don't realize that it's their opportunity or even their responsibility to activate someone's potential or, or really turn that spark or light that spark. And they have to find that. So, you know, when we have interactions with people, um, our employees, we can either motivate them, we can demotivate them, or we can just simply do nothing. And the truth is, is that it's much more exciting if we motivate them. And your question about why aren't people motivated, they're, they're, they're not motivated because we've, society's broken them down. And, but we do have the propensity or the desire, and I believe personally that everybody wants to achieve something special, but society has kind of told us not to. You know, take it easy, relax, don't work hard, you might get hurt, don't overwork yourself. But the truth is, is there's this thing called earned success. And when we experience earned success in our lives, we look back and we say, that's something special that we've done. And we look back with great pride, great fulfillment, great joy. And if we really study people and we look at the true, the people that have experienced the greatest happiness in their life, they have also experienced great joy, 
great fulfillment and they've they've done something special they've achieved something that they probably didn't think they could achieve and they look back with great pride on that and if we sit on the couch all day we never look back with great pride maybe we do for one day because we're relaxing but the truth is if we if we link together you know 10 consecutive days of sitting on the couch we don't look back at that with much pride but if we accomplish something we invent something we create something we unite people when we do something like that, that's when we start achieving fulfillment in our lives. We all have it. We just don't use it, and our leaders don't access it. So this strikes me as why purpose has become such a big issue, but you're putting it not in terms of some great mission purpose. You're saying this as in we're trying to achieve something special, presumably together, that I'm a part of something, and it's not that I'm riding along and sitting on the couch and freeloading. It's that I'm actually earning the success that we're creating. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to create an organization, if we think of the potential, you know, purpose, like you said, purpose is a key uh, word that we use now. I, I kind of substitute potential in there because now it's personal. <laughs> okay. um, so if we can really identify what our potential as a human being, we seek out our strengths. We, we identify our weaknesses. We then find people that can compensate mm. for our weakness, our weaknesses, and then we work together. Um, so if we look at having something, I believe purpose, I, um, I actually go through a model where we, we start out with cause, intention, behaviors, and habits, and so forth. But it really starts out with what, what, is, what are we really here for? What, what type of impact we're going to make? So there is a component of that purpose. But to me, it's, it's the power of an organization, and like you say, working together, because um, it's one thing I can accomplish. So just think about what I could accomplish by myself if I was completely focused on one thing. And then I thought, well, maybe I can't really maximize my, my potential by myself. What if I recruit three or four people? And now it's exponential what I can do. But when you look at an organization of, you know, 100 people, 200 people, 2,000 people, 10,000 people, what is the potential of 10,000 or 2,000 people working together for a common cause that share the same, um, not just values, but behaviors and habits, and they're working towards something special. And that's this cooperative model that humans excel in. I mean, humans really, what, what really separates us from other species out there, it's really, it's this ability to cooperate, the ability to work together. You know, we call it teamwork, but it's, it's absolute cooperation. And we see this when we put people together, they tend to gravitate towards people. They work towards each other. They, they break down barriers. And it's, it's amazing what people can accomplish when they're actually put into a situation and said, go figure and say, go figure it out. They figure it out because they cooperate, they work together. Okay, I see now how your whole blendification system and the elements of it kind of come back to your original question, which says we have this huge platform as business, and it's now about being able to align the potential in tens, hundreds, thousands of people towards something that we're all going to contribute and achieve our potential. I can see that. But the big word, there are two big words there that are easy to say and extraordinarily difficult to do. And one is called align and the other one is called cooperate. I believe we want to cooperate, but often my way of cooperating and your way of cooperating don't coordinate terribly well. So we have to get better at this. And that's where I'm intrigued by your system. Now, before we go rolling off to what the system looks like, I just have to make one point, which I glossed over, which is near and dear to my heart. 
And that's this notion that we tend to think of the leader as the one that has to have the answer on what everything looks like. Now, is this a case that the leader has to go across and create the system and go back and announce it to the team? Or is this a cooperative development as well? What's your view? Well, there's certain aspects of the business that the leadership team, um, quite frankly, in my view, has to get together and, and, and create okay. the direction. Um, and that's not something that you would include 10,000 people in. Fair enough. So there is a component of um, strategic direction, or I call it strategic focus, that has to be done at the top. But what happens is the execution of this is really in the trenches. And um, so we have to have a model where the leaders actually set the focus and then they give um, or empower the people within the company to come up with the actions or the strategic actions to identify what needs to be done and then go do it. So the the common link here, and, and you said this, is we might all have different ways of doing things, but if we're laser focused on our strategic focus and our outcomes, if we share that, if we're at least on the same page on where we want to go, there's 15 different paths that we can get there. There's multiple different ways. And that's the cool thing about this is that if we have, let's say we have an executive committee of 10 people and we keep all the decisions focused there, we only have 10 perspectives. There might be hundreds of answers. And the truth is, is that we need to take the, the, the model, our culture, the way we execute and put it down where the people that are closest to the customers, the people that are closest to the supply chain are actually making the decisions that are aligning with the outcomes that we're all on board with. So we need to align on the outcomes. We don't have to align on how we get there. And, and we need to encourage differences, different ways, different paths to get there. Okay. Yeah, I do believe with you that the leadership team has to decide the direction, meaning of the hundred things we could do, where are we going to put our money and resources behind? But I don't believe that that means the leadership team has to have the answer to that. They can have those ideas bubble up and then they do ultimately have to decide. I have to give a quote that you said that I just love in this line. You said, leaders feel the need to come up with the answers, but the solutions are sitting in the company. They just haven't asked. So, yeah, yeah, it, it, it is interesting if we look at leaders and, and a lot of leaders, um, they've been probably better than average in their schooling. They've been better than average in social um, areas. So they've been reinforced to people look for them to come up with answers. And that happens when they were eight years old. So we start these behaviors early on in our life. And then when we come to um, when we come to our corporate or business world, people, they, they just keep doing that. People look to them, or at least they believe people are looking to them for answers. Right. And, and um, they get rewarded for having those answers early in their career, too. It's yes. just later in their career, it's not getting the best out of people. All right, let's not go down that track. We've got to talk <laughs> about your system. So um, having looked at this, I have to, it seems straightforward, but it's got multiple layers. So you have pieces on strategy, on culture, on execution. Can you kind of walk us through what the elements are of this blendification system in a way I can hang on to just listening to the system? Yeah, I I think if we look at it, and it really goes back to this idea of blendification, and, um, you know, the world is becoming blended. We're not really becoming separated, even though there's a lot of stuff going on socially out there that is at least illustrating that there's separation. The truth is, is we're more blended. Um, And um, in organizations, we need to embrace this blendification, so to speak. 
And specifically, we have, I believe there's three dominant things that happen in organizations. One is we have a culture. Two, we should have some kind of a business plan. We call it strategic plan. And three, we have meetings or execution. So we have culture, strategy, and execution. So every organization has these types of things, regardless of whether or not we're doing it well. Um, in, in what I've seen over time is that organizations will bring in a culture consultant to come in and help them develop culture. And um, that culture doesn't really align with the strategic focus of the organization. So why wouldn't we, if culture is so important, why wouldn't it be, why wouldn't it fit like a glove with our strategy? Why wouldn't we develop a strategy that really enlivens and feeds our culture? So for me, one, step one is identifying that culture, which really goes back to what you said, purpose or potential or cause, identifying what really motivates and align us as a culture and then create the behaviors and habits under that. Not core values, um, not mission statement. I'm specific. Here's the behaviors and habits we want to see. So, so that's our culture component. And then now that we know where we want to go culturally, potentially, and purposefully, the question is, how do we get there? And that becomes a plan. So it's just kind of normal stuff. We start building a plan. We build a strategic plan or a strategic focus. And there's a whole series of ways. I won't get into the whole structure around that. But it's about having a really specific business plan. But that business plan needs to be built in a way that fosters and enlivens the culture we want. They need to be connected. They need to speak the same language. So now we have a culture that we've identified. Then we come up with a, you know, a traditional business plan, which we have some steps. And then we come back and we say, okay, now we actually have to do something. And uh, so now, that, now we come to this thing called execution. And execution is a fancy word for really how do we communicate? How do we conduct meetings? What are we focusing on in our meetings? How are we solving problems? What are we doing on a day-to-day -day basis? What are we talking about? Execution. So if we want to really have a successful um, outcome to our business plan that really feeds our culture, we need to create an execution model. I mean, intentionally build a model of how we execute on this plan. And that goes back to what you were saying is that we need to incorporate and we need to recruit others in the company to actually come up with the solutions that allow us to remain focused on what we said was important as a company. So now what we have is a, a really unified company around our culture, our strategy and execution. And, you know, so many people have said to me, I mean, I get the question all the time, um, uh, does strategy or does culture eat strategy for breakfast or lunch? You know, um, we've all heard that quote. And to me, it's really like a meal. I mean, we, we can't be, we can't achieve our potential unless culture, strategy and execution are all speaking the same language, the same words we're using. We're all, you know, emotionally intelligent the same way. And that's where I think we start really scratching the surface on our potential is culture, strategy, and execution all really just, I wish we could just make them one word because that's how it needs to be in a business. Just one word, culture, strategy, execution, no pause. Um, that's how we start achieving our, our, our true potential. Okay. So let's take the culture component because I think everybody listening would agree that they have been in organizations where the culture was not aligned and they see how difficult it is to achieve something because every aspect of the culture doesn't work. Even though the mission and values engraved in stone on the walls will say teamwork, collaboration, customer centricity, and integrity. Four, pick your fifth one maybe is a little unique each time, but they all say that. 
So you say, though, culture is about behavior and habits, not about missions and values. So how do we get there? Yeah, I think it's an and. Um, I think uh, we obviously values are our critical component to how we behave. Um, if we have no values, then our behavior is irrelevant. So I think there's there's an assumption that we all have certain levels of values. Um, mission is, uh, you know, cause, um, purpose, all, all important. So I think it's an and statement. Um, but I think what we do when we stop it, we leave it short if we stop at just the mission and the values. So if you were to look up culture in the definition, it's going to say something like the definition of culture is behaviors, habits, rituals. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, so if we're really trying to define our culture, why would we not define our behaviors and habits and rituals? And because um, that's to me, if, if, we're, if we're going to do this right, we wouldn't say, let's go define our culture and build a culture with a mission statement. That's a component of it. We would go right to the source, to really the granular level and say, what is culture? Well, culture are the habits that we have in our corporation, in our company, and individually. What are we doing on a day-to-day basis? How do we show up at meetings? Do we start meetings 10 minutes late every time? And is that just an an accepted Mm -hmm. model of behavior within our company? And if we look at 10 minutes for every meeting times 10 people and the dollar, we start seeing how much money is wasted and it's a bit disrespectful. So now we start looking at the habits and then the behaviors that um, reinforce those habits. Um, So for me, if that's what culture is, let's define it. Let's define the behaviors we want to see in the organization. Let's define the habits we want to create. And then let's hold people accountable by making it part of our rituals. So, um, so it's, it's really just going right to the definition and saying, let's build culture based on what it is, not what we want it to be. And um, we get there by going through mission and, and things like that. I don't call it those things, but we have to get down to the behaviors and the habits because those behaviors and habits have to actually connect back to a cause. Right. So, so I think it's a, a progression. I think that's so most companies will have a set of values and nothing wrong with a set of values that they have. I agree. All very good. Um, and they'll have a set of competencies particularly Mm -hmm. leadership competencies, but those don't get down to the very core behaviors. And I like the fact that you say the habits. What are the things that we do without actually thinking about it? And that's where I'd say most people say, yeah, we say teamwork, but in truth, we don't act that way because the habits are misaligned. And then some rituals that reinforce it. All right, so now is this the thing where I hire you or another consulting company to come in and dictate it for me? Tell me what it should be, or is this developed? How, how does this go about getting developed? Well, we actually, we develop um, in, in our system, in the blendification system, we actually develop a statement of cause followed by a statement of intention. And we do this through a workshop type format, either live or Zoom. Um, we also have a full online program too, but there's a specific process with a workbook where we engage others. All we do is facilitate a conversation based on our model. So we have a okay. statement of cause, statement of intention, and then we define our behaviors, specific behaviors that are unique to that organization. And then under each one of those behaviors, we have reinforcing habits that we we develop underneath that. And then we have a whole rollout and um, kind of accountability program that we roll it out throughout the organization. So it's pretty specific um, and we build it up that way. 
But it, what I like about that is it's developed from within the company yes. by the employees so that it feels somehow genuine and you have some champions for it when it's developed at the end of the day. And that, I think, increases the chances as opposed to um, a consulting company whose name I won't mention comes in and tells me what it should be. And then we roll out that mission statement or uh, intention statement. All right, let's move to number two briefly because I want to spend a little bit of time on the last one on execution. A plan to get there which I like much better than a strategy. I think we've overused the word strategy. So what are the elements that go into the plan to get there? Well, I think at the top of this, we, um, we, we have to create rigid strategic focus, um, okay. meaning that even COVID doesn't change where we're headed as a company or as an organization. It doesn't change what we're here for, um, but we have to have agile execution. Mm-hmm. So the execution model has to create a um, very communicative, cooperative model underneath where our meetings, I'm talking about our sales meetings, our production meetings, our budget meetings are all driving back to that plan, which then reinforces our culture. So, um, so this execution model is really about integrating these behaviors into our meetings, which then fosters better execution, which helps us achieve our plan which at the end of the road helps us really move towards our purpose, our cause, or our, um, our uh, mission or vision, whatever we want to call it. Okay. So the execution model is critical because really, you, you said it earlier, I mean, plans are useless unless we integrate a systematic execution model within it. I agree. I agree. And it sounds like to live in a lovely world where we have some intention, we have some expected behaviors and hat. We've looked at our habits. We've said what habits we want to reinforce. How do we want to reinforce them? We've got clear focus and not changing focus, but clear, straight focus on what we want to accomplish. And then we're baking all of that into the way we're meeting, the way we're communicating, the metrics we're looking at. And adapting, because we can see in real time whether it's working or not working, not to abandon the focus, not to abandon the culture, but to abandon the, or to alter the execution. So this sounds all straightforward. I have to ask one last question before we take a break, which is, so what have companies missing? Where do companies get this wrong? Well, I think um, we briefly mentioned it. Companies will have a culture consultant every year or two. They'll do strategy and they'll have a strategy facilitator come out and and really just take notes for them um (laughs) and then uh you know then they go out and they'll have um you know they'll say we need to have a production meeting we need a weekly production meeting but there's no consistent methodology for connecting all of these things and that's where i think you know going back to this whole idea of Mm -hmm. creating a cooperative model you know people work better together so why wouldn't our companies work better if we were completely aligned so where people miss it is they don't realize that culture really sets the platform for our strategy and strategy really sets the platform for our execution and if we do a good job at executing on our strategy we start reinforcing our culture it's the fitting the, how these things fit together the connection of these things nobody ever really says gosh why do we even do this mission stuff you know there's a, there's books out there that talk mm-hmm. about it but there's no methodology out there that says, how does our mission connect to our strategy? It says it should connect to your strategy. And then they go to the next chapter, right? right. <laughs> um, and so I've seen a few of those. <laughs> the, the, the truth is, is that it, it, it's a comprehensive platform to, to connect these things together so that we can accomplish what we're truly meant to accomplish. We don't have to do this stuff, but if we want to accomplish more, if we want to reach and achieve our potential, then we'll look at how we connect these things, not just doing things. 
Okay. Sounds perfect. Perfect time for a break too. My guest today is Dan Bruder. He's CEO of Fusion Dynamics Group. The book we've been talking about is The Blendification System. And you can learn more about Dan and the process at www.blendificationsystem.com. And we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Leading outside of your comfort zone is a delicate balance. You need new skills and new ways of working. To reach the program today, send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. That's wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Dan Bruder. He's CEO of Fusion Dynamics Group. The book we've been talking about is The Blendification System. And you can find more at Dan's website called blendificationsystem.com. Now, what I think is intriguing about what Dan has done here is we've all heard the need to have strategy. We need to know the need to have a good um, culture. We need to know the emphasis on execution. And we know somewhere in our souls that All of those should sort of fit together. But I don't know any other place that systematically takes the steps to make sure that each of those three is led one to two to three. And Dan will say culture, which is habits, behaviors, and rituals, specified concretely, leads to strategy, which is our plan, which is about achieving our potential. What's our real potential here, which is where the motivation comes from. And then three, execution, which is where we're going to talk about how do we communicate, what meetings are happening, what are we doing in those meetings, what metrics are we looking at, how are we tracking, literally making this thing happen and adjusting if that's what we need to do in the execution side. So, Dan, I'm intrigued. But I want to now talk a little bit about the behavior of leaders. I would, of course. That's my specialty. And you have this pyramid that's called IQ, EQ, SYQ. So we've probably heard of IQ. Some people have heard of EQ or emotional intelligence. But explain why you have all those and particularly what the heck is SYQ. 
<laughs> yeah, SYQ, system intelligence. So if, if we look at leadership um, as kind of a, a buffet, you know, what makes a good leader? And we have various different levels of intelligence. And at the bottom of the pyramid, the, the leadership intelligence pyramid is cognitive intelligence, you know, our IQ, what we're born with. Um, and then we layer on emotional intelligence. And Daniel Goldman made that popular back in the 90s. And, um, you know, I think we kind of stopped there. And in fact, Daniel Goleman said that emotional intelligence is more important than cognitive intelligence. Mm -hmm. EQ is more important than IQ. And um, I thought, well, that's that's an interesting statement. If you had to choose one, I don't think we have to choose one, though. Mm -hmm. um, and then I started thinking about that as well. EQ is good because that gives us the ability to empathize with the people that are in front of us and we can, we can put ourselves in their position. That's definitely a good skill. But I think we're, we're just falling a little short if we stop there. Because to me, if we look at how we're running an organization, we have to look at system intelligence. And um, system intelligence on an individual basis is that it takes IQ. It also takes IQ to be, um, excuse me, EQ. So if, we're, if I'm meeting with somebody, there's some level of impact that I'm not only having on them, I'm also impacting how they behave with their colleagues in the organization. I also impact by the words I say, how I say them, how we communicate. I'm also impacting how they show up at home. So not only am I having an impact on them while they're in front of me, I'm having a, you know, a relational impact with their spouse or their significant other. I could be having a generational impact because there might be kids sitting around. And we all know the work talk, right? <laughs> we all have work talk with, with the family. So now what happens is my communication not only affects the person in front of me, it starts affecting their people, um, how they show up in their community at home and how they show up at work. So a systematic impact. Um, we take that a step further from a pure business perspective uh, sometimes, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, Wanda, but um, you know, maybe the sales team will have an idea that they need to go into a new market. Um, and uh, they come back and they're like, hey, we need to go put our product into this market. We need to go into, uh, let's just say, Latin America. And product team, we need to take our product and go down there. No one ever says, does our product fit the market? Um, so now we have a systematic impact of the sales team saying we do this. And in some organizations, since sales generates money, they are the ones who make all the decisions and then product and operations tend to have to follow if it's a sales-based organization. But the truth is, is that there's a systematic impact. So if we really look at business from a leadership perspective, and it's if, if sales says, hey, we need to go into Latin America, now we need to get our product team and say, what type of product do we need? What type of features and benefits do we need in order to sell this product to be successful in Latin America? That's a systematic impact. And then we need to go, can we actually build that product you know, operationally? Now we start looking at one statement of we need to go sell in Latin America really becomes a systematic statement that we need to incorporate our product teams, our operations teams. It could also impact our culture in our company too, or people, right? Do we have the right people to do this? So when we come back to all this, I mean, that's kind of a big picture statement, but system intelligence is um, critical to us achieving our potential as a leader and an organization for, to achieve its potential because we need to look at all the different impacts and that becomes part of our plan. So this strikes me very similar in concept to what's become a fairly popular word lately called ecosystem. 
And the notion of I look not on just what my company is doing or just what I'm doing. I look at the system around me. And you're saying both inside the company and outside the company, in the markets that we operate in, as well as in our homes and with each other. And look at that entire system and say, how does one action make a difference in the system as a whole? Is that a fair analogy? Yes, absolutely. Now, that sounds very intimidating, too, by the way. So I don't know if anybody's sitting there going, oh, my God, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> so every single thing I word is going to affect, you know, global warming or something like that. Clearly, we're not saying that. But we need to be cognizant of that, of, of our behaviors, our actions and how they're impacting other things, um, you know, organizationally that, you know, companies, they just do. Um, leaders and companies and businesses impact employees, customers, and communities. Whether or not we agree with the impact they have, they just do impact those things. So if we really want to accomplish something special in our lives, we need to embrace that fact and use it to our benefit. At the same time, if we do this, we motivate others too, by the way, because people want to be part of something significant. The truth is, is that does sound somewhat intimidating. So it's easy to just push it aside and say, hey, that's not for me. But if we're really looking inside ourselves and inside our people, we'll say, hey, this actually motivates people to do something special. So why don't we can use this to our benefit to make an impact and build a better company? Yeah. So I get why you say the leader needs to have the system intelligence. And so to be able to think about the broader context, not necessarily the entire universe of problems, but the broader context and see the impact of actions. When I speak with um, CEOs, they're always saying, I don't have people who are strategic enough or who know how to inspire. And I think what they're really asking for is system intelligence. I don't think they're asking for people to be more strategic as in where's an opportunity. I think what they're really saying is I need people to see the implications of an action today and the consequences on the organization and on our markets and on our customers. And I think that's what they're really asking for. So I like this concept a lot. Yeah, I I agree with you too. And, um, you know, so many times leaders, when they say they want people to be strategic, all they're saying is they want my people to come up with ideas. And, (laughs) you know, that's essentially what they're saying. And, um, you know, that's that's a cultural thing. Do we actually foster good ideas, right? Um, Do we we encourage it, right? So I have to do one funny story. This is an old story from someone I know fairly well working in a consumer packaged goods and had done a ton of market research around what's going to make their product more visible, stand out, customers like, refreshed brand, you know, all the bells and whistles that you would do to introduce this new product to market. And they do the prototype and they get everything set and running with production. So it looks like it's going to go great. So we've done at least that system. Everybody is aligned and they come to do the rollout for the distribution channel. And the distribution channel just started laughing, hysterically rolling and laughing because it was taller than average. And all the store shelves everywhere around the world that they distribute to don't have that size. So, yes, it could be adjusted, but then we're going to pick up the cost for doing it. And there goes every profit you'd ever make. So, it's like scrap all of that back to the drawing board. We'll try something different. That's an impact of a system internally, not necessarily externally in the marketplace. Just thinking about that distribution channel as well. Okay, 
Let's go back to this notion of execution. And you have this chapter 13 in your book that I love called The Execution Failures. So tell me about the biggest ones you see and what do we do about that? Yeah, I was just thinking, I came up with 10 reasons why execution fails. Um, And, um, you know, there's so many books written about execution Mm -hmm. and there's plenty of people that have said the reasons why execution fails, but these happen to be the 10 that I came up with. Clearly, we're not going to go through all 10 of them, but there's a couple of them that really stick out for me. And um, one of them is, um, it's actually number three, if you're following along in the book, right? Of course. (laughs) Um, But uh, strategic plans are stagnant and inflexible while markets, consumers, and employees change rapidly. So um, there was a company I was working with, and I was working with a subsidiary. It was a $4 billion company. And um, I was working with the subsidiary, taking them through the strategy component. And uh, they had just finished at the uh, corporate level, the $4 billion company level. They had just finished going through a large consulting firm and about nine months of strategic planning. And part of that process was, is they did all kinds of research and data, a bunch of analytics, and clearly some really, really good analysis about what the company should be doing. And it was nine months of data. And, you know, when they dropped it off, it was a huge PowerPoint deck of information that was super relevant when it was dropped off. Um, But what happened was, and and I'd worked with this company, um, what happened was, is that uh, they spent two and a half million dollars on this. Uh, Mm -hmm. They had, and they walked out of it with like, I think eight strategic objectives, Mm -hmm. but it was all supported by data. And then the strategic team got back together a month afterwards and started trying to digest this stuff. And then about got back together another month later. And then about 90 days after the meeting, they started really saying, okay, so now what are we gonna do? And um, so now what has happened is almost a year has passed since they engaged this whole strategy model. And guess what? Things changed. Um, the market wasn't the same. And this is an oil and gas business. And a, lots was, a lot of things were changing in that space. This was pre-COVID. But look at the change, the change acceleration when COVID happened. So my, my point was is that they, they started working on this. And a lot of the data was now old. Um, it wasn't relevant anymore. It was relevant at the time. But it wasn't relevant because when, when they actually started implementing, it wasn't agile. So the markets were changing, their consumers were changing. Um, At the same time, employees changed, but that strategic plan was very, very rigid or that strategic component was very rigid and it it just kind of faded over time. It wasn't a real agile model that said, hey, yesterday something happened, we need to modify our strategic actions. It wasn't a, a whole systematic model. Um, so that's the one, and, and it really kind of feeds into the other one. It's the last one. And, and that one, I said, there's no intentional system where strategies become part of the organization's operations through regular communication. They basically fail to embed execution into the company's culture. So that's the other one mm-hmm. that I, I see. So it's, you know, they walk back from a, you know, a three-day retreat um, with really nice dinners um, some good wine, <laughs> and uh, they start working on this, but there's no real model to say, how do we actually communicate this? We, we kind of just take this strategy and we, we try to make the best of it. And um, what really should happen is, is that we should come back and basically funnel this through a strategic operating model. 
you know, so many times when we, we go out and our goal is to create a strategic plan, not to create a strategic operating model. And um, we can fulfill our plan, build a plan, but we can lose sight of the fact that nothing happens until we actually execute on it. So, um, so I, so, I believe, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, so give me an example. So I buy the idea that we need to have a model to communicate and so that people understand what it is. And there needs to be some dialogue back and forth about this. And it needs to get baked into the culture and the habits and the behaviors. I buy all of that. But what does a model look like? Give me an example of a communication model that really achieves an, an intentional system. Yeah, well, specifically what we do is when we take organizations and the leadership team through um, developing the strategic strategic plan, and we use a a pretty simple process. It's called the strategy whiteboard, and it's a two-page process. Um, But as soon as we do that, what happens is is, um, me or my organization actually rolls it out to the troops. So we don't have the, the leadership team roll it out. We do a rollout to the company. And sometimes we have people all over the world on Skype or Zoom or something like that. We roll it out for them. So it's really, and we talk about the process we went through. And then what we do is we create specific um, peer accountability groups within the organization. Um, so within the strategy whiteboard, there's four strategic focus areas. So we, we develop teams that are responsible for the execution of those items. Um, And then to to support them or reinforce it, those teams have a specific meeting schedule that is modified for companies at the same, each company modifies it. But what we do is we roll out and we say, here's your your meeting schedule. And we even go so far to build a meeting template for them. And the template is based on incorporating system intelligence and emotional intelligence. So it kind of connects back to the leadership stuff that we talked about. So from there, from there, those teams are now, they meet, but then they have to connect back to the leadership team. So we have a series of meetings that go throughout the year. So we embed this, this strategy into the execution culture. And we actually build the way these meetings are run. And there's, there's various different meetings that we do. We have um, what I call roots groups meetings. We have connection meetings. We have uh, recalibration meetings. So we basically plan that our strategy is not going to be right because times change. So basically we'll have every 90 days to 120 days, a recalibration meeting by design. And then we also have destination meetings. So there are specific scheduled structured meetings that really drive the, um, the strategy and take the strategy execution away from completely away from the leadership team. Oh. <laughs> They're <laughs> informed about it. They have input to it. But we have the people, we have teams that are running particular elements of the execution, and then they have a cadence, if you will, of meeting an agenda, presumably a set of metrics, a communication strategy, and we have all these other things called calibration meetings, communication meetings, and destination meetings. Yes, yes. So it's a, rather than invent it as we go, oh, wow, we need to let the leadership team know. It's already laid out when it should happen, how regularly it should happen, what the content should be about. Is that exactly. reasonable summary? Okay. Yeah, and the structure is really, really systematic. But what happens within that is it encourages creativity because we have the structure. We ask the questions where those questions are typically never asked. Right. And I know they're going to be asked. So I know I get ready for them and have yeah. something to report on them and so on. All right. So you have this idea called roots groups that you just mentioned. 
fascinating title. What are they? How do they work? Why do we need them? Well, it's, um, it's, a, it's a big question because the, the roots groups for me, and I created these roots groups because I believe that change happens at the grassroots level. Mm-hmm. And um, if we want to create change and growth within an organization, we have to go to the grassroots level in order to create that change. Mm-hmm. And then under this model of, of this cooperative model that we've been talking about or this blendification thing, it can't be done individually. We need groups So that's where I came up with the name Roots Groups. And these groups are really um, their tasks with performing, creating, and implementing the strategic actions that align with the strategic focus and strategic outcomes. And so these groups are nothing more than peer accountability groups within an organization. So there's no leader, there's no hierarchy. It's truly the greatest form of accountability. And we know this happens. We know the greatest form of accountability is peer accountability. Not, I don't do this because you told me to do this. I do this because I don't want to let you down. So if we know this, why don't we actually manufacture this in our organization and create groups that are purely peer accountability based? And I mentioned those, um, those uh, agendas, those agendas for the roots groups really feed off a peer accountability model and not a hierarchical model within the groups. And uh, we could have the president of the organization as part of a, a, a roots group, but they're just another player on the team. And we build it that way. Fascinating, because I think we need new models for, I agree with you, peer accountability is one of the most powerful tools we have. And if we are aligned and if we're trying to achieve something together and we're really generating earned success, which is where you start, that peer accountability is going to be great. All right. So I get the principle. Give me an example of a roots group and how that would have worked inside any client you've worked with. Uh, let's see. Well, there's a company um, that went through this and... Um, they, we, we create four roots groups, like I mentioned. One is customer and market, one is product, one's operations, and one's people. Mm-hmm. But this group was the, um, the product group. And um, I went back because I, I stay in contact with them. I went back for their roots group meeting, and it was about, I think it was probably about four months after we went through the, the, the strategy component. And mm-hmm. um, I sat down with them, and uh, they were super excited. There was about, I think, seven of them in the room and they were, they, 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 they came up, they said, thank you for encouraging the executive team to ask me what I wanted to do. And so specifically what they did, and it was cool because I, you know, I love this stuff, right? Cause I love going back and meeting with the people and seeing how things are progressing. So four months after they went through this, they looked at me and they said, you know, what we did is we, we went back and they actually, they were a cabinet manufacturing company for kitchens for large kitchens, um, like commercial kitchens right. and universities and such. So they're a pretty large company. And um, the roots groups were just like jumping out of their chair. And they said, you know what we did? We sat there and we looked at our hinges and we started studying our hinges. And within 30 days of rolling this out, we created a new hinge that took two percentage points out of our product cost in terms of one, the, the, the ability to manufacture the hinge, right. a better hinge and the process for manufacturing. So 2% turned into something like $5 million in costs just by simply asking these people to come together to do something special. And, um, you know, it was seven people that answer, by the way, was sitting there last year 
It was sitting there the year before. It was sitting there the year before that. They were just never asked to do it, and they never had a reason to do it. But when we actually give people a reason and say, work together to figure it out, it's amazing what happens. There's countless stories like that. But that's, that's the cool thing. It's like, wow, $5 million. I should have asked for more money. Right? <laughs> <laughs> for one thing. I mean, we often see that in companies that these small things actually add up on scale to quite substantial. And the ideas were sitting there all along. We just have to enable it. Okay, Dan, you have literally two minutes. And one of my favorite questions to ask every guest, since we're out of the comfort zone is our title, I'd like to know about a time you had to get out of your comfort zone. What was the secret to your success? And you've got literally two minutes to give me an answer. Okay, I'll give it a try. Well, I, I, I would say that it's just writing this book. You said it earlier. You know, they're, they're really, no one's ever really attacked something like this. So I took within, within 300 pages, I basically built the whole operating model for a company on culture, strategy, and execution. It didn't exist before. I felt compelled that I had to do it. And um, the, the model already existed in companies. I just hadn't written the book yet. So I had to buckle down and write this book completely out of my comfort zone. I didn't have enough time to do it. But I felt like for me, the, the cause for me to do this is to take this methodology and make it basically as inexpensive as possible for any company in the world. And I truly believe every single company should be operating with this model because it just doesn't exist. So that was my test. So going back to me, I wanted to create something that everybody could use in a way that we could distribute it very, very simply. And um, that was through the book. And that was, you know, extremely challenging. Um, I'm not a writer. Um, you know, I even had a, a book review person said, well, he may not be the most skilled writer, but his system's awesome. <laughs> you know, I took <laughs> that enough. as a compliment, I think. But Fair that enough. was really way out of my comfort zone to write a 300-page operating manual for business. Okay. I love it, Dan. Thank you very much. My guest today, Dan Bruder. The book we're talking about, The Blendification System, you can hear more at blendificationsystem.com. And I can also tell you the book itself has thousands, hundreds, I should say, of templates, questions, exercise. It is a really bit of a how-to model. I think the thing that still strikes me is how much we say we want to build collaborative cultures, that we value it, but that perhaps this is the way to think about that, both in terms of the culture, the behaviors, the habits, the rituals, the strategic focus, where we go, where we're trying to get to, and the execution plan that forces us to talk about how we communicate and what we're tracking and who's allowed to do what and so on. So I think that's the exciting part of what you've done. So, and I will also say, join us if you'd like to see an example of how this all works in practice. Join us on our brand new subscription model, which you can find at outofthecomfortzone.com. And Dan and I are going to walk through a full example of the blendification model. Also join us next week for another episode in how to get out of your comfort zone. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.